So, we're so can I introduce... Um, Me? Yes, yeah. Eli uh, from Copa90. Um, These lights are a lot stronger up here than, than they like in America. If I'm waving in the right direction, hello, everybody. Yeah, it's, it's sort of a different game, isn't it? Yeah. When you're out there, you're sort of thinking, yeah. why are we doing that face all the time? <laughs> what's the, what's why are they doing the face? But no, no, it's because of the lights, isn't it? Um, but yeah, uh, it's um, really lovely to have um, Eli here with us. Um, as I say, there's a lot presented on Copa90. Uh, he's a lot better known than any of the rest of us. So oh, apparently um, not. He's overselling. I'm not sure how many people know Copa90, but we're um, a uh, football network, media network, uh, predominantly on YouTube. We make documentaries, uh, all types of films, really, on football, football culture, football fandom. Uh, I guess we're five years old now, coming up to a half decade. And I'm, yeah, sorry. <coughs> and uh, yeah, I've, I've, I got the text just the other day. I said, uh, this is everything I'm about. I grew up uh, what, a good decade now reading James Montague the first time, I'm sure I'll tell you. I was a nervous wreck the first time I met this guy uh, because I lived all the adventures I felt football could take you on through his writing. Uh, and now I get to do it for a YouTube channel. Very, um, very 2018, isn't it? 2017. What year are we in? <laughs> I'm halfway through an edit right now, so I'm, uh, my mind's not all there. Um, so yeah, that's uh, me present the show. I'm not sure. Am I meant to be telling that yeah, story? Yeah, sort of. A w it's sort of a weird meta world where I've just you're the presenter, and I've yeah. sort of introduced you. I'm not so used to talk. Yeah, I'm used to asking the questions. Yeah, so but we were thinking maybe I don't know. Was the idea? Uh, yeah. Well, is it now or yeah? yeah? I mean, if I mean, the question I always like to ask without thinking I'll see there was, um, can I take us off the stand and just pass around with the plant here? Yeah. So I'm asking these guys the questions, right? Are we having the discussion? Yeah, How's this yeah. working? And if, and if anyone has any questions, oh. do, do feel free. But maybe like, you know, with a slightly more ordered way, not, not to say that you were a rabble last time, but you know, maybe if people were slightly more ordered, it would help with the... Uh, question for me? Huh? A question for me or for anyone? Oh no, for anyone, oh you know, for anyone. Sure. Uh, I think there's someone with a hand up over there. Uh, okay, as in if I could suggest for you or if I could go to one again or if there's just one. I've been to many. Oh, fucking hell. Uh, <coughs> okay, well, if I... You put me on the spot. I should know this, shouldn't I? I get asked all the time. Um, I get, uh, That's probably the number one question I get. What's the best derby you've been to? I've been to a good dozen, if not more, derbies on every continent. Uh, the derby, it depends what you want, isn't it? But um, for me, everyone always thinks Serbia. Um, I was there amongst a ride in Belgrade. However, if you want the danger, for me, uh, what really got to me was Rome-Lazio. Um, the reason being with Serbia, with uh, Partizan versus uh, Red Star, you knew where the, the trouble was. They went for each other. They made it clear. They were very loud. And we were told, do not go over there. Of course, we went over there, but we kept a little bit of a distance. Um, so for that, for that, uh, situation that actually was like okay there's the danger with Rome Lazio it's 80,000 people and it's 80,000 people trying to get at the other person it, we, we actually had a bodyguard for it it happened to be um, Daniel Radcliffe's bodyguard so we share that kind of in common that's all I really got um, <laughs> but essentially um, we get there the, d the day of the match and I knew I, I felt I wasn't as I was far more scared than Belgrade and I thought Belgrade was about as scared as I could get and with my complexion and being an Australian with Looking like I did. people are very confused, and that, you know, the politics in uh, active football support uh, means you you can be in danger just for looking like a certain someone. So I was already nervous as it was, uh, and we get there and we're in the car with the bodyguard, and the bodyguard it turns out qu found it quite funny how nervous I was. So he made me more nervous by telling me they g uh, they get the girls to hide the knives in their underpants, 
and uh, sm- try and smell for the smoke because they're the bombs they put under the foreigners' legs. Uh, and as we get to the stadium, 80,000 people, the first thing he points out, and this really was true, there were people in the trees. And they were the fans of um, either Lazio or Roma looking out for uh, the rival supporters in case they ambush because they've got a thing called Pinchicata, which is um, an old Roman tradition of stabbing your opponent in the um, in the in the backside, basically. Uh, Pinchicata. So everyone wants to avoid getting stabbed in the backside because everyone wants to watch the match. Uh, and um, basically, you enter. And uh, there's a obviously a safe family zone, but these two zones where the active fans are, there's a good 20 to 30,000 grown middle-aged men, uh, mostly bold or bold in, uh, eating sandwiches and absolutely silent. There's no noise. There's no trouble. You don't know what's going on except for the um, the random kind of noise bomb going off. They're not literal bombs, but uh, they set the car alarms off. Everything goes crazy and everyone goes back to normal. And we had a freelance cameraman who had done a Ross camp. And he just turned to us, he said, I've never felt this kind of tension. So if, if you really want to feel like you, your life's on edge, go to Rome Lazio, stand amongst 20,000 uh, middle-aged men, all looking, no one, no one talking, everyone looking out. That's probably about as scary as it gets for, for my experiences so far. But I've still got um, South America to go, so I'll get back to you then. Yeah, I, I, I mean, uh, that, that's actually a question I was going to ask. I mean, we've kind of celebrated w- the, the beauty of football and the adventures you can get. You can find yourself amongst, but we haven't really talked about the negative aspects. There always, there always are one or two where you feel like, "Why have I got myself involved in this? Why didn't I just, you know, stick to League One or something like that?" Uh, I'd love to know, James. Obviously, I'm sure you've got some stories. I'm sure you've got some stories at the time. What's the moment where you thought, "Shit, I've got myself in too much trouble here"? I'd like to know if anyone else. Do you want to take off the stand, or you want to come up? Uh, I've, got, I've got one, one word, and that's Hungarians. Oh yeah. Uh, they're the scariest football fans I've ever met in my life. I mean, there's no, there's no one that scared me more. I mean, I've had, I reckon there's been two occasions where I've had a gun pulled on me uh, at a football match. One of them was in Zambia. Um, uh, one of them was in Lebanon. Uh, but Hungarians scare me more than any people <laughs> I've ever met in my life. It was, it was, it was a really, uh, a really harsh game. It was, it was Romania, Hungary, and I was living in Romania at the time. And uh, the history behind that is that because Hungary lost like two thirds of its empire after the First World War, uh, Romania took a huge portion of its land, and so there's still this kind of simmering resentment. So whenever they play each other in an international football match, all of this comes out. And there was a special uh, train uh, that was uh, uh, put together to go down to this game in um, in Bucharest, and it had Pushkas on the front. And inside of it was just, it was just full of like these just massive, shaven-headed, balaclavered, well, they then put the balaclavas on and they just went out into Bucharest smashing things up and beating people up. And there's th- you can't really reason with them because most <coughs> most people that you talk to um, have, like, they can, you can speak another language. I can I can use a little bit of my, I'm half Polish, so there's a little bit of Slavic in there. Maybe I can use that. The Hungarian language is completely different to anything else. There's nothing you can say. If, it, if it's just Hungarian, you cannot really um, communicate with them at all. So there is just really violent men who you can't reason with. So avoid Hungarian national football team matches with Romania. Was there a particular moment where, where, where was there a particular moment where you thought, oh, I might be in trouble here, he says the wrong thing, or they realised that you weren't one of them, or were they cool you the whole time? Yeah, they, they were, because... I don't. I didn't look Romanian, so 
so that, that that was that so I was okay and and I was I, so what actually happened was I went with them to the game so I had a ticket in the Hungarian section but I knew that I could probably pass as a Hungarian but I just didn't speak so I just stayed completely silent for 4 hours <laughs> for the entire time and I sat there and they were sitting they were sitting next to me and they were like smashing up the the national stadium in Romania they're pulling all the steep the, 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 and all the this is it quite a kind of far right uh, tradition in Hungarian football I mean you've you had an axe pulled on you. Uh, yeah, it was a, a bloodied axe, of which they wanted to show off to the camera. That Hungary for us was one of the weirdest moments. That was the first moment where we... That was the one after Belgrade, and Belgrade was the one where it really got Kobanani's reputation and respect because we were pitch side. We were the first to turn the cameras from the pitch, even though we had pitch side axe, um, rights to show the game because it's such a small league. We turned them on the pitch, and it was just maniacal. Because if anyone doesn't know, my, 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 uh, the series I'm and Kobanani's most known for is Derby Days. Um, and for the first few episodes, it was Liverpool, your Romas, your Milans, the big ones, which doesn't really get you much access. Everyone kind of really knows this. Uh, everyone knows the narratives for the most part. Serbia was the final ep episode of that series, and it was like that's the crazy one. We saved, saved it, and it was just crazy pitch invasions, last-minute goals, two save penalties, and that kind of changed the reputation of Copernani. So when Hungary was the next episode of the next season, uh, what, a few months later, and when we came there, they were like, we saw Belgrade come with us and they take us around the stadium and they're far right um, <laughs> uh, and we come around the corner and I'm the only guy there with a relatively dark co complexion. Some of the things I'd shared with us already before or we in doing my research meant they, they wouldn't like someone like me coming in despite the fact I'm Australian I'm of Yemenite and Israeli uh, heritage so that doesn't really work. Do they think you're a Roma? Um, no, I, I, go, uh, I go with the Greek angle. They all like the Greeks. My ex-girlfriend was Greek. She taught me a few prayers. In uh, Greek, and then uh, <laughs> I use that as a backup. I probably shouldn't share that actually. But um, long story short, they are there is about sixty or seventy of the hardest ultras on a staircase uh, in the stadium within the confines of the stadium. They want they wanted to talk to us because they had an issue with the um, the federation uh, insisting on uh, reading their veins with some new age technology before they could get in the stadium to identify troublemakers. But we kind of turned this corner and we're filming it, and we just turned and it was. Just 60 skinheads, some of the roughest, toughest guys just standing there on the stairs. And then the spokesman, to be fair, they were really lovely. They took us out for beers afterwards. It was a, it was a nice time. But I was thinking, I in any other situation, I would have just legged it. And then once it got out, the one side had spoken to them, the other side wanted to speak to us. And that was in within a, this tiny clubhouse. Again, I must insist they were lovely to us. Um, uh, a few of them I saw in the picture in, in your article. And um, Again, the, and we were thinking the whole time, well, do they want to get us because we spoke to the others or do they want to have their point? And they, again, <laughs> they were hooded up with balaclavas. They were bigger than the last lot. But again, they were, it's kind of funny how football, they just kind of forget all their other prejudices and go, no, no, we're, we're all here for football. So, <laughs> so it was okay. But um, yeah, that was the situation. But however, I also want to ask James, is as, as much as the situation's got you in trouble, football can also get you out of trouble. Uh, I've had my incidents, but I know you've got one very famous incident in... Uh, what was it on the Gaza Strip or going into a passport control? No, well, the only reason I got into Israel one time, um, and this was just after the uh, Lebanon war, the f one of the Lebanon wars, uh, and the I was coming, I was passing through Jordan through the West Bank, and I had an Iranian stamp on my passport, so that's just there's no way you could get in. And the only I got there, and the woman, if you ever go through an Israeli border post, you notice that everybody's a kind of nineteen-year-old woman. And so uh, she's just this 19-year-old girl. She's sitting there looking over the, the passport and, like, no way I'm getting in. But then uh, 
she was wearing a Maccabi Haifa uh, badge. And as a West Ham fan, I was like, oh, yeah, Yossi Ben Youn. Yeah, I'm West, I, I, I like Yossi Ben Youn. Yeah, you know, he plays for West Ham. Great. Uh, I did mention Arl Berkovich because uh, <laughs> for obvious reasons that might have gone, ma- gone mad. Her complexion completely changed. And I'm convinced it's the only reason I got into Israel in 2006, the first time. And if I'd got, if I'd got kicked out, I wouldn't have probably been allowed back in. Uh, but, th- but this was a, a common theme throughout, uh, especially the Middle East, uh, especially after the Iraq war, um, you know, that if you went to places as a Westerner, you were often, it was, it, was quite a neg- it was quite a negative environment. But if you went to do with football, then this is a, an area where Westerners, especially English people, were kind of, kind of welcomed with open arms. So I went to, to Lebanon, and um, there's a football club there called Al-Ahed, which is effectively owned and controlled by Hezbollah. So you could go to the southern uh, Dahia, which is the southern area in in uh, Beirut, and if you went there as a Westerner, you'd you'd be picked up, you'd be interrogated by Hezbollah spotters. But I went to their football club, and I turned up at the kind of the president's office, and there's a picture of Hassan Nasrallah outside giving the Lebanese FA Cup to uh, to his players. But they, I got talking to them, and they were, all they wanted to know about was about Wayne Rooney. <laughs> because they, they, so it turns out that Hassan Israel is a Liverpool fan, and they're all Liverpool fans, and they hate Manchester, they hate Manchester United, they hate Wayne Rooney, and they kept on. And a common thing that often said was that pe- a lot of people I'd meet in the Middle East would say that I look like Rooney. Uh, so uh, there was a, a, a. You don't. You don't. Listen, there were kids running down the street in the West Bank saying "face like Rooney, face like." Rooney. Literally, the only English they had was "face like Rooney, face like Rooney." So, uh, so they were, they, they, so they were kind of fascinated. Uh, but that's that, you know these guys uh, would have had no time of day for any other foreign correspondent to turn up, and you know at the end of the day they they did because of th- only because of football you know and um, and I had won the league obviously because they had the most money and mm. all the guns basically. And Stephen, how about you across Malawi, Sudan, and the rest of Asia and Africa? Any any instance where you thought because it seems like you're quite carefree? You said yourself. Um, Look, you know, I just go. I probably don't think about it. Or what, what could happen to me? But there must, there must have been a moment where you thought, okay, this, what do I do here? I, 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 I would think uh, my first game uh, in charge of Sudan. Um, we were playing Mali uh, with Kanote and these guys, Diara. And there was about seventy thousand Sudanese in the crowd, and I was the only white guy that I could see. Um, and uh, Mali scored after about seventeen minutes, and I really thought, shit what happens if we lose this? Um, b- uh, and, and that was serious, but fortunately we, s- we, we equalized. But look, uh, I think you talk derbies, uh, Millwall West Ham uh, is, is ferocious. Um, were, you, were you in charge of one? Or were you no, no, thank God I wasn't, no. Um, but you go to Greece, Falk. Um, mm. Our insurance won't let us. Falk against uh, Aris is, um, the stadium is, is, is literally on fire. Um, I mean, we played Falk in, in the, the stadium, Tumba, and the stadium, the top half of the stadium literally was on fire, and it was like, play on, you know. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're not getting out of here. And uh, um, I think we were one of the only teams to get a point um, with Olympiacos. Um, uh, uh, look, I think uh, um, uh, people are passionate uh, about the game, and um, like I said, I haven't... People are passionate, but some, some people are a bit more passionate than the others. Uh, for me... Yeah. I don't know what, what your experience is for me, but like wha- with Turkey, I'm not sure if anyone's seen, they've just fired their manager, Fatih Turum, because despite being on a six million euro a year uh, pay packet, when his uh, son-in-law called him 
uh, what was it, three or four hours uh, away from Istanbul with an issue with his restaurant and the kebab store next door. Yeah, Ali Turim yeah. felt it necessary to drive four hours and beat up the beat up the owner of the restaurant in front of CCTV because he was just too proud. He couldn't even send one of his henchmen. So now he's lost the job, obviously. But I feel like, for me personally, the Turkish, they're the, they're the most passionate. They're the craziest. That Pride comes first over everything. Uh, the famous Rambo incident, I'm not sure if everyone knows. That. Actually, that, that's probably after La Roma uh, with Sunus. Obviously, everyone knows Graham Sunus uh, planted the uh, the gala flag in front of Bachi's ground. Um, even yeah. Graham uh, said, I, I didn't realize what I'd done. And then um, famously, Rambo, a fan of Fenerbahce, <laughs> went on a stadium tour uh, a few days before the, the next uh, uh, the derby in Galatasaray. This crazy guy, Rambo. Have you met Rambo? You probably have met Rambo. Oh, you next article. Um, Rambo <laughs> did a Galatasaray stadium tour. Uh, I don't know how, because I don't know how they didn't uh, pick him up. Basically, he hid in the cupboard for three days. He kind of got lost on the tour. He hid in the cupboard for three days with a knife and a Fenerbahce flag. And uh, when <laughs> before the game, burst out. Um, minutes before kickoff with a knife didn't let anyone near him went all the way to the middle of the ground and planted the the Fenerbahce flag in the Galatasaray Stadium and just waited and kind of scared off everyone with the knife and said I'm going to hold the ground it's basically that's what football is isn't it? it's just uh, it's like game flags and defenders uh, <laughs> it's a big version of glorified of it flags and defenders um, anyone got any other questions at the back there yeah Yeah. Um, that that particular tournament was a, a, a tri-nation tournament, so we didn't have too much footage on them. Um, I, I, I focus more on, on what we do and what we can do um, in those situations. Obviously, you try and get something, but um, we're playing Kyrgyzstan in 27th of March away. Uh, it's the last game of the AFC qualifiers. We've qualified. I've got three or four players out. Um, I will probably take a young squad for that. Um, we've seen them a couple of times. Um, we, we, we don't get too much time. Internationally, you get the, uh, uh, the FIFA calendar date, so uh, it's only about nine days. Um, uh, I think the first thing that we do with the players when they, when, they, when they come in, we make sure everyone's fit, test them, that kind of stuff. Um, I don't show too much on on the opposition, you know, set plays, stuff like that. It's more about what we do, and um, if we can do what we can do, then let them worry about us. Yeah, that's a very short explanation. I could go on. I wouldn't say that. No, I, I, I'll give you an example. Uh, India played a, a, a test game against uh, South Africa on a Sunday afternoon, which is an off day, uh, and they had 45,000. We played Japan on a Wednesday at 6 o'clock, and we had 95,000 uh, in the game. They had 66,000 at the Under-17 World Cup. I, I, I think over the last, uh, the last three or four years, it's, it's really coming on, the Indian Super League, uh, they like to call it, where they bring in a lot of foreign players, um, although some of them are a little bit over the, over the top. But uh, the national team the last three years has done really well. Um, and I think if you combine those things, um, it's changing. There's more, uh, more kids playing football in India now than ever before. Um, and I think um, it's going to take them some time, but um, I, I think um, 
they will be a force in Asia in, in the next 10, 15 years. What do you think is behind that? Because uh, I read an article in the Financial Times about how the fast growing sport amongst the middle class and upper class in India is football. Like it's just, is it no one wants to play cricket anymore. No, not no one, but uh, most kids want to play football. They look up to Manchester United and your Liverpools. Do you think it's the access, the internet and the accessibility of football coverage, broadcast, culture and fandom? Look, uh, the mo most Asian families, their, their prime, prime focus is uh, for their kids to get an education. Um, and if you ask any Indian here, f all they want to do is get an education for their kids. Um, cricket, they could see a way out. Um, a lot of families could see um, the financial benefits from playing cricket if, if, their, if their sons made it. Um, they're now starting to see uh, the same thing in football. Um, I, I've got players on $150,000, $200,000, which in India is unbelievable money. Um, and, and, and some of them, um, two years ago, no one ever heard of them. Uh, as soon as you select a player into the national team, right away he's he gets big money. Um, and uh, the, the, the people in India now can see that there's, that there's money to be made in football, and um, I, I think that's a huge factor. Just to say that um, if anybody wants to sort of carry on chatting to any of us, we're we could be around for a little bit longer, but we'll probably sort of end the formal side of it because I know a lot of people got trains to get to and stuff like that. So um, basically, we're still going to be. I think we're allowed the room for another like half an hour or so. Um, and so yeah, we're just going to be around, and if anyone wants to chat, uh, do feel free to come and chat. Um, and we'll try and sort of turn the lights off. And stuff. <laughs>